Well, thank you for coming. Hello and welcome to Happy Hour with Pastor Dale. And uh, thank you for um, your uh, presence today and thank you for watching online, those of you who are joining us. Um, I just want to give you a, a really quick introduction to what we're doing here. Um, for a long time, I have um, had a, a sense that um, our church family would do well by having some uh, educational opportunities where we could hear from professionals who deal with some of the life issues or struggles that uh, many people within our own family of faith here at Lighthouse deal with. And um, we have uh, talked about it for a long time and we finally kind of pulled the trigger and one of the opportunities that um, we've had with our live stream is an opportunity to share that with others. So uh, this is Happy Hour with Pastor Dale. I did not name it, um, but I, I do like the title, but the subtitle is really what we are about, Tackling Tough Topics with Uplifting Love and Grace. And so that's what we're going to be doing uh, today uh, and in the future happy hours. So thank you for coming. And um, it is my privilege uh, to introduce to you um, Patty Sen. Uh, Patty is the clinical director and a licensed addiction counselor uh, at uh, Soul Solutions Recovery Center, uh, which is a new recovery center here in our community. We're going to hear a little bit more about that later. Um, but uh, so um, what I have not told you is that I've told them that you are actually world-renowned for being my addiction counselor. <laughs> yeah. Not once, not <laughs> twice, but three times. And, uh, you know, in, in some of the world, you would see that as being held back. But I graduated all three times. So I'm pretty proud of that three-time graduate thing. <laughs> and... Uh, um, we'll, we'll probably talk about that a little bit going on uh, as we go on, but um, Patty uh, was gracious enough to come and uh, meet us today and to share a little bit with us um, about um, addiction to substances, drugs and alcohol, uh, but uh, the correct way to uh, talk about it is uh, to talk uh, these days is to define it as a substance use disorder. So we'll, we'll get into that. But I wanted to introduce Patty and let her share whatever she wants to share about herself with us today. Yeah. Well, thank you, Pastor Dale. It's, uh, it's an honor to be here, and I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, share with, with your congregation and, and people watching. Uh, so as, as Pastor Dale was saying, uh, I'm a licensed addiction counselor in the community. I've been practicing for over 20 years, which um, the math doesn't quite add up when I try to think of how old I am, but um, it's, it's, uh, it's going on uh, quite a few years now. Um, I'm also a person in long-term recovery. I've been uh, sober for 27 years. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And yeah, I've been uh, you know, here in the Fargo community for over 20 years and, and practicing um, addiction counseling in a, a few different facilities and most recently at Soul Solutions Recovery Center. So. Uh, well, welcome and thank you for being here. Um, so I have some questions I'm gonna ask Patty and uh, we're just gonna have a dialogue about these topics, but I just wanna remind everybody here and online uh, that we're going to have an opportunity also for some dialogue and some question and answer at the end. Um, so um, we're going to just start with the obvious. Um, if we could define a substance use disorder, 
Um, and if you could, you know, kind of help us understand what it is that we're talking about. I think that um, looking out at my Lighthouse uh, family who are here today, a lot of us understand what that is, but, but um, we want to be a resource also to others. So um, how do we define it? And particularly, like, from the brain um, and the disease aspect, how does that work? So. Yeah. So substance use disorders is, is kind of the new language as, as Pastor Dale was alluding to. So some other common terminologies that we might use are addiction, uh, alcoholism, drug addiction. They all kind of, you know, um, mean the same thing. Uh, and, and probably the simplest way to describe addiction or substance use disorders is that idea that... Um, a person continues to use substances in spite of having problems. That's really kind of the gauge of of what that um, addiction is all about. So someone that uh, continues to use even though they're experiencing problems. And, and, and there's, you know, there's a lot of reasons behind that. And as, as Pastor Dale was saying, you know, there's a lot of brain chemistry that um, we're, we're better understanding now. You know, in the early days, um, we didn't quite understand the brain chemistry side of things. And, and so unfortunately, addiction or substance use disorders were sometimes viewed as, as being a moral failure or some type of character flaw or something like that. And as we've learned more about the brain and how substance uh, substances impact the brain, um, there's been a lot of um, good information that, that supports the idea that addiction and substance use disorders are, really originate in the brain. And there's a couple of different um, things that drive um, substance use disorders in the brain and and it has to do with you know kind of that that pleasure or that reward center um, that people experience when they uh, ingest a substance uh, and then it also has to do with you know um, what we call the prefrontal cortex or you know where we kind of make our decisions and and those are the two main areas that are negatively impacted by substance use disorder so you know um, basically it, it's a brain disease and our brains aren't working properly so to speak and, and that's where you know things start to go sideways for people yes yeah, I've understood it, it our, our brain kind of becomes dependent upon the substance in order to to have that pleasure feeling that you mentioned so what does it mean when um, you know people um, who might be struggling feel like they can't stop that you know they, even with good intentions like they there's this craving is that part of the disease aspect then and and how do they, you know, how do you address that um, in your work? Yeah, so cravings can be um, part of the illness for people. You know, there's different, there's just different symptoms or criteria that we look at for someone with a substance use disorder. And, and, and cravings can really um, be twofold. They can be the physical cravings, you know, when, when we become physically dependent upon a substance, our bodies need it to continue to function. So there can be that peace going on but then there's also the psychological craving that obsession so to speak with with substance use as well that um, is very difficult um, to overcome okay so um, I want to want you to speak to um, somebody who might be listening today who's wondering if they've crossed the line into what you just described um, how do you know if if you've really began to battle an addiction or a substance use disorder 
Yeah, so I always go back to the, the very simplest way to put it is, it's a two-part question, is, is your substance use causing you problems? And if you answer yes to that, the second part of that is, is do you continue to use in spite of those problems? And so that's, that's really the simplest way to start to look at it, is someone that's continuing to use, even though it's causing problems in their life, it's causing some type of negative impact in their life, whether that's relationship issues, or maybe there's you know issues at work, or financial issues, maybe there's some legal problems that are starting to happen. So some things are starting to not go well as a result of our use, and, and there's that continued use in spite of that. Um, so, um, so I remember I was sharing with Patty a couple of weeks ago when we got together to kind of prepare for today. I was sharing uh, with her um, that I had um, asked that question um, one of the first times we sat down, and her answer was very consistent. Of course, she knew my story um, by that time, and she said, if it's affecting your family or your work, chances are there's a problem, and um, um, that was very true. But but I think that um, the challenge um, for people who sometimes are using um, in uh, ways that are creating problems is they kind of begin to assume that everybody uses in that way. Am I, am I correct? So there are people who just use substances and it doesn't uh, cause problems or affect their daily life? <laughs> it's hard to believe, but uh, yes, um, there are those people out there. Okay. Yeah. All right. We're not usually hanging out with them, um, but, um, yeah. but um, you know, that's, that's part of it as well. We tend to hang out with people that are doing similar things that we are. So we're getting yeah. a very skewed um, perception of what, quote, unquote, normal use is. Yeah. yeah. I, I think we've also found um, here that, that a lot of, um, you know, the, the, the really depth of, of the addiction that people have struggled with has been done in isolation. So you also then begin to kind of shut people off. Is that, is that pretty universal too, that people experience that? Yeah, what, what oftentimes starts out as a social activity, whether it's drinking or using other substances, is typically done you know, with a peer group or, or others around us. And then as the, as the disease progresses, so to speak, that isolation really starts to um, creep in and, and more and more of our use becomes that isolative um, type mm. of thing. So you just mentioned something that um, we've not talked about yet, and that is that um, that the disease progresses. Um, is that is that for anybody with the disease? How does that work? And I, I remember learning, and then you know, kind of learning the hard way that yeah. it only gets worse. Yeah. Is that correct? And yeah. How would you describe that? Yeah, it's like any other chronic disease in that untreated it gets worse with time and so how that looks for everyone is a little bit different for some people it it escalates quickly um, for some people it may be a more protracted period of time um, but it always gets worse without treatment or intervention so my my understanding and so we're we're now getting into stuff that we didn't talk about we talk about so um i but you're doing great <laughs> so but i want to i want to talk about this just briefly because um i i i do know that um there is kind of a a a danger for people um who maybe have been clean in particular from um narcotics for a period of time 
and that when they go back, they often start assuming that they can do the same amount and that overdoses are pretty regular. Is that pretty common? And, and it, how does that work that, that um, you know, your body now can't handle the same amount as it could before? Yeah, so that scenario is, is very common if people have periods of abstinence or sobriety um, and then they return to use it oftentimes has very um, difficult um, outcomes that can include death, you know, mm. because we, we don't understand that, um, you know, even though we haven't used for a while, um, our bodies, you know, have adjusted somewhat. So if we try to use it the same manner that we did, you know, in the past, um, it tends to have, you know, poor outcomes. Yeah, okay. So t talk a little bit about treatments that are available um, and um, how effective are they? Um, you know, I know that, you know, some people just go to AA or NA meetings and they get clean or sober that way. Can you just talk about how treatment works and what the approach is? Yeah. So treatment is really on a continuum, really. And there's, you know, different... Um, different types of treatment, different modalities, so to speak. And, and on one extreme of the continuum is, is inpatient treatment. So that's the highest level of, of treatment that a person can engage in. And then on the other side is, you know, a low-level outpatient treatment where maybe you're seeing a counselor once a week or every couple of weeks or something like that. And so in between those two extremes, there's, you know, different levels of even outpatient treatment. There's different types of outpatient treatment. And then there's residential treatment as well. Um, so there's a, a broad range of, of different uh, types of treatment that, that people can engage in. What are the factors as to determine which one is right for somebody? Yeah. So, you know, here in North Dakota, um, you know, we, we follow what's called ASAM guidelines. So American Society of Addiction Medicine has, has guidelines on, on how to determine what type of treatment is most appropriate for a person. So the things that we look at in determining, you know, does someone need to be in an inpatient treatment, which is a 24-hour seven day a week facility where you've got medical staff there 24 hours um, versus you know someone coming to see a counselor every couple of weeks you know so the things that we really look at you know it comes down to safety is a lot of it so um, can we keep the person safe you know um, what is their risk of continuing to use and you know experience consequences are there other things going on in their life that need to be uh, actively addressed oftentimes there's um, medical issues that people are dealing with as a result of their use where maybe they need a little more medical care as part of their treatment. Um, Co-occurring mental health issues um, can be a very complicating factor as well. So what's the, what's the best setting to, to treat those things as well? And then sometimes, you know, even what type of living environment a person is in can play a, can play a role in, in what type of programming is most appropriate. Now... Um, this can be a challenging question, but um, all those factors um, seem to um, kind of pale in comparison to whether or not there's insurance and people can pay. Yeah. So what about, what about that? I mean, how, you know, we work with programs here that are um, funded by the state of North Dakota where we help people who are dealing with mental health or substance use disorder 
um, and most of them have no insurance or maybe Medicaid. So what, what options are there for them? And, um, you know, I, I, it's, just a, it's just kind of an overwhelming thing to see. Yeah, and navigating that piece is, is probably one of the more difficult uh, aspects of getting someone into treatment of any kind um, because that insurance or lack of insurance drives drives a lot of stuff um, about what certain programs accept, what they can't accept, uh, what specific programs take in terms of insurance or don't take. And so unfortunately, you know, in, in, in addition to looking at what's, you know, best for the patient, you have to look at the reality of what's, what are their realistic options given their, their health insurance coverage mm -hmm. or, or lack of it sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's just the way the world works. Yeah. 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 Um, one of the things that um, I'm asked frequently is, is about whether or not to go back to treatment. Yeah. And, um, you know, I already mentioned that I was a three-time graduate. Yeah. And uh, the first two times were, you know, pretty much almost right on top of each other. Uh, but the third time, um, I had fallen into a cycle of drinking where I could not stop. I, it seemed like it happened every couple of weeks. And, uh, and I just needed the accountability. Um, but what are the, what's the evidence of repeating treatments? And, you know, when, when somebody who's maybe been sober for a while um, or clean for a while now is struggling again, how is it decided whether or not to, to return to treatment or to explore that as an option? Is there any way, guidance you can give us or some of our staff here? Yeah, uh, you know, so the, the first thing to realize is that needing to return to treatment uh, isn't an indication that you failed treatment mm. before, right? So oftentimes we have it in our head, well, I, I went to treatment in the past, it didn't work, mm. so why should I go back? And that's really not not accurate. And, and what we find, and I, I'm not going to remember the exact statistics, but most people require more than one treatment episode before they finally, quote unquote, get it. And, and returning to treatment um, has a cumulative effect is what we find, is that, you know, maybe, maybe they didn't quite get everything they needed to get the first time around, but if you build that in, on the second uh, treatment episode, then then, then that might be sufficient. And so there's this idea that returning to treatment isn't an indication of failure, but it's an indication that there's more to work on and we can build upon what they've done in prior treatments. And so determining whether or not that's appropriate for any individual person kind of goes back to, you know, what is the severity of their current use and, and, and you know, how do we interrupt that pattern of use in, in the most efficient manner? Yeah. So... Um, are, are there are there statistics about how effective treatment is? Why do some people make it, some not? Um, my understanding is that most people with a substance use disorder don't even usually seek help. Yep. Um, ultimately, do you are do you have any kind of statistics you can give us, or or even just you know why some some make it and some keep struggling? Yeah. So. Um you're right in that most people with a substance use disorder don't don't ever get any type of help. Only about 10% of people with an addiction out there ever get any type of professional help. Um, and then one, one uh, statistic that I like to use when we talk about treatment is it's, it's referred to as the 50-80-90 rule of treatment. And, and what that speaks to is that... Um, 
generally speaking, uh, for anyone that goes through a treatment program, whether that's inpatient, outpatient, or a combination, about 50% of them are going to go back to use within the first year. And of that 50%, 80% of them are going to start using within the first 90 days of finishing a treatment program. Hmm. So what that tells us is a lot of people go back to use in the first year and a lot of people go back to use pretty shortly after they finish a treatment program. Um, so um, for me, what that speaks to is we're not doing sufficient treatment for people. Um, mm. We're trying to treat a, a chronic illness in, a, in an acute care model. So mm. treatments tend to be very short-term in nature, and there's you know, a couple of things that drive that. Mm -hmm. um, and so my, my belief is that we're not treating people for sufficient periods of time to, to allow them to be successful. Okay, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But yeah, mm. I think... I mean, I think that's one of the struggles that, um, you know, we've had within our ministry here. Honestly, whether it's for mental health issues, mm -hmm. behavioral health issue, issues, um, or substance use disorder, that people, um, you know, we can get them kind of some help for, you know, 30 days yeah. or a few weeks. But um, the, the depth of issues are so deep that it's yeah. going to take a lot more yeah. long-term care. And, we, and back to the brain, what we know is it, it takes a while for the brain to heal. So for the first days and weeks and oftentimes months in treatment, you're not thinking clearly. And so just, you know, having time for your brain to heal oftentimes takes, you know, about as long as treatment is. And, and you really have a difficult time doing the work that you need to do because your brain is, is trying to recover and heal. Can you say a little bit more about that? Like how, like... Like, how long does it take for a brain to heal? Does it always heal? Generally, yes. You know, the, are, you the, know. are the different substances different? Yeah. Um, have take, require different time frames? Yeah. So, you know... You know, what to say about that is, is every individual is unique. Every, you know, how everyone's brain responds to, you know, the ingestion of substances is unique. And, and you know, uh, some people can endure long periods of use and, and relatively not have a lot of uh, damage, so to speak. And some people have shorter periods of use and have significant damage. You know, there does come a point... Um, you know, on occasion where you kind of pass that point where your brain really is unable to heal, but you know that's certainly not common, thankfully. But it but it can happen, um, and, and even you know you know we talk about methamphetamine use is especially brutal on on uh, the brain as well, and and um, there is evidence that the brain heals. You know, kind of depending on the person and the use, it can take up to two years though to get back to years, to a sense yeah. of normalcy. Yeah. Wow. Okay, um, so um, what do you consider um, long-term characteristics of healthy sobriety or recovery? Um, you've mentioned you're in long-term recovery yourself. Um, you don't have to reveal anything about your program, but you know you you obviously see people at various levels of um, their journey. What what are or even just personally, if you want, what what are some dynamics of a healthy recovery from your perspective? Yeah, so, you know, I think there's many factors. The ones that, you know, always seem to stick out is, is having a sense of community. Again, addiction is, is a disease of isolation, and so finding a community of support. What we know is trying to get well 
by yourself is the hardest way to get well. I mean, some people can can do it, but it's 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 uh, not very common. And most people need to find a community of support, whether that's through 12-step programs, a, a church relationship, any type of community that can support them in their journey is, is certainly an important piece. Um, having a sense of gratitude, I think, is, is important. Um, when we have a sense of gratitude on what's going on in our lives, it's less likely that we're going to want to pick up a drink or a substance and, and mess with uh, the things that we've got going on in our life. A um, little bit of humility is, is always important as well. And, and, and uh, giving back in some way. You know, I, I think that giving back what has been given to us in whatever manner that might be, um, I think is an important part of, of um, healthy recovery as well. You know, I just want to say to people who might be watching who've not been to Lighthouse, but you're from locally if you are struggling, that that sense of community is something that we've tried to create here where uh, you can come in and be, um, you know, in a safe place and get some support, uh, that there are people here who can kind of walk alongside you. And um, I, I attend a lot of anonymous meetings myself, and I, I find that same experience. So if you are struggling and you happen to be watching today or someday in the future, um, there, are, there are those communities of support available, and we want you to know that. Um, yeah. Um, so um, we're going, before you talk about um, Soul Solutions, I have one more question that is um, a question that we deal with here quite a bit. Um, and that is, my loved one is really struggling. Um, and so, um, you know, it's true in my instance that um, my wife, Beth, uh, reached out to where you were working um, long before I ever got there. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, people who... Uh, live in the same house or really love and care for people who are struggling with an addiction are the first to see it probably yep. and are at a loss what to do. Yeah. So any kind of word that you can give to somebody here or somebody who may be watching, what do we do when our loved one is struggling? Yeah, um, so you're right, it's very common for um, loved ones to notice the problem before the person with the problem does. That's part of the denial that goes with uh, with substance use. Um, and so um, what I would um, tell any loved one who has concerns is to reach out um, and, and ask for some support. And there's many different places where you can reach out to. And the, the key is is to keep keep knocking on doors until you, you get the right place. And, you know, unfortunately, it's, it's sometimes a difficult process to navigate of, of where to go for help and, and all of those things. And, and you know, whether it's a, a church or a pastor relationship or reaching out to um, a, a treatment program or any other type of support system that you might have. If you keep talking to someone, eventually you're going to get to where you need to be. So the important thing is, is, is talk about it and don't be silent and, and, um, and um, reach out for help. So, and I know that um, you're trying to do some of that at um, Soul Solutions. And so we're now going to give you that opportunity. So tell us, tell us about this new venture that you're on. 
Yeah, um, so Soul Solutions Recovery Center really um, kind of came into being um, as an idea anyway about four or five years ago. And, and you know, I started to get the idea that I wanted to open a, a treatment center. And, and what, what we knew early on is we didn't want to do just treatment, right? Mm -hmm. We really wanted to do something a, a little bit unique. And, and, and part of that is, you know, f you know unfortunately, we're, we're losing ground, in my opinion, in terms of, of treating substance use disorders. You know, more and more people are dying from this disease, mm -hmm. and, and we're just, we're, we're not... We're not moving in the right direction, and and so doing the status quo, you know, um, just didn't seem like enough. So really wanted to do something uh, a little bit more unique, and that's really where um, a lot of the Soul Solutions um, vision came into being. And and so we're we're an outpatient treatment program, but we also have a Hope and Coffee Recovery Cafe, uh, kind of in the backside of the building, and we also have a community center space as well. Mm. And the whole point of of those two spaces is to really um, open it up to the community and and be a place of hope and support for the community at large. And and especially the coffee shop, we really want to, you know, you, you hear about addiction every day in, on the news and talking to your family, your friends, your coworkers. Addiction is everywhere around us. And we really wanted to have something in the community that elevated the the discussion on recovery in our community because we do have a vibrant recovering community um, here as well and we, we hope to be a place where we can support some of those discussions too. Yeah, I've had, had coffee there um, yeah. a few weeks ago. You're wearing the t-shirt, very nice, open <laughs> coffee. Um, so I'd encourage you know people to, to stop in. Um, one of the things you shared with me is that there's also some um, opportunity for pe people who come to treatment um, for follow-up care within the treatment model that you're doing, potentially for some period of time. Can you just talk about that? Yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so kind of back to, you know, the belief that we don't treat people for sufficient periods of time. So we really work from what's called a recovery management model of care. And that really speaks to this idea that addiction is a chronic illness. And in order to give people the best chance of being well, you got to treat them over extended periods of time. So our commitment um, for people is, is we really want to work closely with you for that first year of your recovery journey and even up to five years. If you have any other chronic disease that you're dealing with, you're going to see your doctor um, for, for those checkups on a regular basis. And we really want to normalize doing the same for recovery as well. We want, we want people to come in for recovery checkups during those first uh, five years. You know, five years is kind of the, the benchmark of, of what they um, call stable long-term recovery. So we want to help people um, throughout those, those formative years of their early recovery. So you're just getting started. So you will see as that goes um, exactly. how that develops. Yeah. Um, I know you also have some family programs. Can you just mention that as well? Yeah, very um, um, important piece of all of this is treating the family as well as, as we were talking about. And, and oftentimes it is the family that um, is the first to reach out for support. And we, we have a family program that is open for um, you know family that has a loved one in our treatment program, but it's also open um, to family that maybe don't have a loved one in treatment. And, and, and it's very important 
important that the family members have a place where they can get some education and support and work on their own recovery process as well. And, and we just feel that that's kind of an unmet need in our community is a place for family members to um, go for support. And, and oftentimes, if you can get the family a little bit healthier, that, that helps move the person with the substance use disorder closer to getting help as yeah, well. Yeah. So um, we're going to have a little question and answer time right now. And uh, if anybody has a question either here in the room or um, online, you're welcome to type that in. And uh, if you have a question, we're just going to ask you to um, get Kirk's attention. And we'd like it uh, you on the mic because it's live streamed. And uh, you can answer the question and we'll invite Patty to answer. And uh, anybody have a question that they would like to help us get started with? Hi, Patty. My name is Marjorie. You had said something about, you know, going through treatment until you finally get it. Yeah. So how do you get it? <laughs> I, I've been I've been thinking to myself, you know, I don't I don't go to treatment. I'm yeah. I don't have a problem with alcohol or drugs or yeah. might have some codependency. Yeah. But um, and I'm I'm thinking to myself, how did I finally get it? Hmm. And I'm not even sure what I'm asking. Yeah. So that's why I'm asking you. Yeah, thank you. Um, that's a great question. And that's probably the million dollar question of, <laughs> of treatment, really. You know, so what is it that's going to impact one person? And, and what we know is you know, what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for the next person. And, and you know, you know, it's such an individualized process oftentimes. And recovery is about self-discovery and, and, you know, all of those types of things. That's very hard to... Um, it's very hard to navigate for each individual person because each person has their own unique needs and the things that they maybe need to address, you know. So the Soul Solutions name um, really comes from addiction is often described as having a hole in the soul. And so that's really where the name Soul Solutions Recovery Center comes from. And so um, really what we try to do is, is fill that emptiness. Um, and, and for each individual, that emptiness is a little bit different. And and it's it's hard to, you know, it's hard to standardize that, so to speak, um, because each person is going to come in with their own unique circumstances and, and unique needs of what they will need to do to get well. So, how do you know? I don't even know what my needs are. So, and I've been to treatment like seven times, and now I feel like. Oh, I already know. I've been there so many times, and they talk about the same thing. It's like the same thing. And I know my number one thing to do for me, you know, quit hanging out with using friends. Yeah. Huh. You know, and that's hard for me. It's really hard. Yeah. So, I mean, when is it enough is enough? You, huh. I mean. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. That's a very good question, you know, and, and you know, so what, I, what I'll say is that treatment is one aspect of recovery, but it's not 
recovery, right? So it, I kind of describe it as it's the tip of the iceberg of what needs to happen. And so treatment is really meant to help people get on the right path. Um, but if all you do is treatment and nothing else, you, you tend not to be very successful. So, you know, um, you know, what that looks like for any individual is 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 a little bit unique, but you know um, this idea that treatment is going to fix me or is going to be sufficient um, for my recovery is is not accurate there's most of recovery happens long outside of treatment when you're well done with treatment you know recovery you know it's a, that continued journey of of getting well and, and most of it uh, happens outside of treatment treatment is just a a sliver of of what recovery is all about yeah thank you yeah any other questions thanks for coming patty um you had touched on brain chemistry, and I was just, and I know you're here for substance use disorder, um, but can you touch on brain chemistry in the addictions that don't include substances? Shopping, um, gambling, sexual addiction, yeah. those kinds of things. Yeah. So we call those kind of those behavioral addictions, um, and uh, same principle, you know, behind those things, whether it's shopping or gambling or. Um, you know any any host of of different behavioral things and and the the brain chemistry um, idea is the same and and you know you know so and I'm you know not a doctor obviously but you know um, those activities can release large amounts of dopamine in our in our in our brains that tell us oh this is a really good thing um, and so for people that have a substance use disorder or um, you know other behavioral issues um, that is is a little bit more enjoyable or pleasurable than than to the person that doesn't have a, an addiction. Ice cream. Yeah. 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 For sure. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Any other questions? Any other questions? Any questions online? All right. So um, I want to, well, the timing is about perfect anyway. So I want to thank you for coming, Patty. And um, I want to I close, um, close this with a word of prayer. But um, I also wanted to say that, um, that um, I know a lot of people. I was telling Patty earlier that um, I know she has a lot of groupies. Um, she has impacted a lot of people's lives. And um, when I went back to... Um, treatment um, for my third time um, it was with the hope that um, she'd be willing to work with me again because um, you you are um, very impactful in the work that you do um, very caring uh, very um, firm um, and and uh, I've um, I've uh, had opportunity for so many people uh, to tell me about the difference that you've made in their life. Mm -hmm. And um, so on their behalf, but also on my own behalf, I want to say thank you. Thank you. Um, you've made a huge difference in a lot of our lives, and it's deeply appreciated. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Um, so I'm going to say a prayer, and then I'm going to let you know who our next month's uh, speaker is going to be. So Father, we thank you for this day, and uh, we thank you for your time with us now as we have shared with Patty Lord. Um, I pray that you would bless um, Soul Solutions, 
recovery center that you would bless them in their work in their efforts to to help men and women um, who are struggling with substance use disorder Lord that you would um, provide for them the, the the leadership the resources and all the the uh, the necessary components that need to come into the the important work that they do uh, Lord we pray for men and women who might be struggling right now whether um, in this room watching today or in the future and Lord um, give them the courage to um, ask for help uh, Lord we thank you for this church and the opportunity that we have here to know community uh, that is so important in our recovery journeys we pray this all in Jesus name amen Bye now have a great day God bless